You are listening to Life Stories with me, Natalie Miller-Snell. Throughout this series, you'll hear honest conversations with inspiring people. And I am so super excited and so very grateful for my guests who have been incredibly candid about their journeys. So sit back and prepare to be inspired. Hello, everyone. Joining me today is an award-winning author, a nationally recognized speaker, and a savvy publishing strategist. She is also the founder of Publish Your Purpose, the acclaimed hybrid publishing company that gives first-time authors the secrets to getting their books written, finding an eager audience, and marking their place in the publishing world. I got it out that time. Brilliant. Please put your hands together for Jen T. Grace. Woo! Thank you. I love the I love the enthusiastic, very passionate introduction. <laughs> totally. Do you know what? Well, first off, on the the I managed to speak that out loud, and for folk who are listening, I literally had to stop myself a moment ago because I tripped over my words, and maybe I might add it on the end, just as a little blooper to see how brilliant I can be at not getting words out. Um, but do you know what? That whole intro. I like folk do it on shows, don't they? On tele- televised before, you know, uh, shows and whatnot. And I just think it's a great way to introduce people because it's a recognition of how successful, brilliant, but the accolades that everybody has. And it's really nice to kind of pump us up almost before we have any conversation. I think we should have like a little recording that we can listen to. Yes, I am yes. that person. <laughs> yeah, I can do the uh, the the super the superwoman pose in the mirror, like That's one of those it. things, like really amp yourself up, like you're so, like you're Tony Robbins. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. Brilliant. Um, now, so for everybody who's listening, um, you have a different accent to to me. We're 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 stateside today on this podcast. Very exciting for the folk who aren't familiar with you. Who are you? A little bit about yourself, if you will. Oh, okay. So I am based in Connecticut in the United States, which is in on, in the Northeast. And I have had a long winding career. I will, I'll, I'll give you the abridged version, nice. but I started off my, I started off doing my own thing as a consultant, specifically in the LGBTQ space, but even more specifically in financial services and insurance. So it's like niche within a niche within a niche. And in doing that work, I wrote a couple of books. And after I wrote a couple of books, everybody knew, asked me how I wrote said books. And then that turned into creating a group space to kind of show people how to do it, showed people how to do it. And then everybody was like, well, can you just do it for me? And I was like, well, I got to tell you, that wasn't my plan. But after I kind of sat on it for a little bit of time, I was like, huh, I think there's something to this. I actually, I think this is the path that I'm being, that I'm being called to do. And so that started back in 2015. So I've had this publishing company, Publisher Purpose since 2015. So that's a very abridged version. I like that. And I mean, I just wrote down the word how here, because what's quite interesting, and certainly with folk I've spoken to recently, when people keep asking you questions about the same topic and they are asking, how do you do that? There's something that you can offer in a, a, in a business capacity, isn't there? And there's actually an audience for you and to help people because lots of folk don't know where to start or not even so much that don't have the time to explore it because they've got you know other commitments elsewhere and whatnot. So I love you know you recognizing that. But can we rewind a bit just in terms of the book? What was your, a bit more about how you actually started the writing um, and and doing your own book to then you know enable folk beyond that as well. How did how did you get into that? Is is that always been your dream? 
You know, it has. And so I can, I can tell a story that makes this sound so intentional and cohesive, but the reality is that it did not come out cohesive at all. It was very, you know, like you look at the entrepreneurial journey where you would imagine it's supposed to be like these ladder, like rungs going up, but really it's this big spiral web of chaos. But if I go back in time and I think about what I wanted to be when I was young, I wanted to be Dear Abby. I wanted like an advice column because everybody around me would always ask for my opinion when I was like really little, I like really little. I've always been the like the Yoda of all of the people around me, like giving out the wisdom. And so I wanted to be Dear Abby. And that kind of got shelved because I ended up getting a degree in communications, which, you know, I could be Dear Abby with a communications degree, but I kind of like... I forgot about that piece of me. And then in 2012, it was, I was having a conversation with a friend who's a nurse practitioner and she was trying to figure out how to make her practice more inclusive. And she was asking what felt like the most ridiculous questions. But when I listened to her question, I realized as an ally, she was just asking with like genuine interest. And so I was like, all right, listen, if she and I are really close friends and she's got the courage to ask me something that seems like she should not be asking me, how many other people have that same type of question? And so I started a blog in November of 2012. And every week I wrote twice a week, I wrote different kind of tips on how like marketing and communications related tips. And before I knew it, I had like 300 blog posts. And so the first wow. book actually stemmed from some of those earlier blog posts. And then the second book, I was more intentional because I'm like, all right, now I know what I want to write. So I'm actually going to write the blog post first to set the groundwork for the book that's coming rather than writing them retroactively based on what I already had written. And so wow. that's really how where the content came from is that I was able to kind of explore my thoughts with readers that were just looking for information. And this is in 2012, this was, you know, almost 10 years ago, which felt like things were far less saturated around these topics 10 years ago than they are today. That's quite amazing. And I'm really curious to understand how, I mean, your your view and your point with regards to actually having the blog posts that you then created and written to help and enable a book rather than having raw content that I suppose that you extrapolated from almost to put into a book that's really interesting but you're clearly a, a writer at heart then to have well, how many did you say 300 odd blogs I keep I keep saying to myself I need to blog about that <laughs> I'll never get around to it I will pull out the writer in me I will I will I will um, it's a commitment it is, it is commitment. yes yeah when I ended I think on my website because it all the information is still there I think there's 440 blogs total separate blog posts. That's a ridiculous amount of information. But, you know, it's one of those things that sometimes you just have a couple sentences of some nugget of wisdom to share. And a blog is a great venue for that because you can't just put a couple of sentences in a book and call it a book. So like blogs give you much more freedom and flexibility. And it gives you an opportunity to hone your writing craft, especially if you're starting off where you're not the best writer. The more you do it, the better you get at it. And it's just good practice. And then you can kind of come up with the idea of like, all right, I'm going to write a book. It needs to be 20,000 words. Like books don't have to be crazy, crazy war and peace length. They can be short and succinct and get the point across. And then when you look at it, you're like, all right, there's 20,000 words. That's really 20 blog posts that are a thousand words long. Like it makes it so much more accessible in order to actually get a book written. When you think about breaking it out into these, these chunks, rather than thinking, how am I going to sit here and write 20,000 words straight? Because nobody can actually do that. Yeah, yeah. 
what I mean I also wrote down just a moment of coaching even with your friend that came to speak with you and asked you questions and whatnot there's an element of coaching in there isn't it because you're actually enabling people to as you said there chunk down what they're doing I would I would do the same or recommend the same when you're doing goal setting and whatnot it's a process isn't it it's a planned sequence of events to get you somewhere but without feeling the overwhelm upfront you you planned it out to get there a uh, brilliant absolutely brilliant so you wrote a book or, or several because you've got, how many have you got now six six wow wow um you wrote a book way back then or you had the concept came through in 2012 you started your company in 2015 was that always the dream to have your own business to found something how did that come you know you recognized there was a, a an opportunity in the market how did that come about and is this something you know is this kind of the end goal for you yeah, that's a great question. I can remember, I want to say I was probably in maybe the ninth grade, might have been eighth grade, but I know it was sometime in that general time frame. being in the car with my dad and telling him that I wanted to own a printing company. Wow. Out of all random things, pot like a print, and I didn't even know what that meant, but I wanted to own a printing company. And I don't know that he knew what I meant because I sure didn't. But I was thinking, you know, like promotional things like flyers and brochures and postcards and things like that. And that's honestly when I was like maybe 13. Seems completely at random. And I always knew that I had like the entrepreneurial bug. Like that was always there. Like I had a, I started my first company when I was in high school, just graduated high school. I started a landscaping company and that was a whole, I wrote a memoir uh, that I released in 2020 that, that shares the whole landscaping story. Cause it's something that like completely mind boggling. It's quite different. Yeah. I want to learn more, but carry on. Sorry. <laughs> it's completely. Cr- I love, I love gardening even now. I love being outside. Would I start a landscaping coming again? No, absolutely no. But, um, so that was like the first thing that I started, but before that I was like renting out books as like my own library, but like, you know, a library typically you don't have to pay for the book. So I was like, you know, you had to like pay to rent the books from me. So like, there was a lot of things like that. And then, you know, I was working for a job that was just really terrible to me on a personal level. And I was like, you know what, I'm just going to take the leap of faith and start this consulting. And then the consulting led to the publishing. And I, at this point, know that I am unemployable, like nobody else could employ me. And I'm, I'm proud of that. I would rather that be the case. <laughs> I love that. You get to the point, yeah, this is not going to happen. I need to get on and do it myself. That's brilliant. But it's such a great, um, I like the like the acronym as well, PYP, Publish Your Purpose. It's a, it's a great name. It's really catchy. But it says what it does on the tin, really, doesn't it? It's, it's yeah. absolutely brilliant. Um, folk are talking a great deal more now about the importance of storytelling and how actually that enables individuals, particularly in minority groups, and I, you know, specifically talking myself, LGBTQI, uh, plus it, just how important it is to have, you know, representation and folk talking from your viewpoint and having had a career now in both writing plus publishing and enabling individuals, how important is that storytelling process that you've seen in your work? I, 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 I don't even know that there's a way to measure the level of importance because it's that important. And one of the reasons Like, so if I look at our company mission, so much of what we do is elevating and amplifying just underrepresented voices in whatever way in which we want to define underrepresentation. But typically that is people from the LGBTQ community, communities of color, people with disabilities, you know, sometimes even just women, women on a broad level can be incredibly marginalized. And so to me, if we look at just the publishing industry as a whole, it has 
very much shifted and changed over the last five years, 10 years, 15 years. And it is filled with a lot of gatekeepers. It's very white. It's very male. It's very straight. And there are a bunch of gatekeepers that are preventing access from people's stories that really need to be told. And so I feel like it's myself and there's other other publishers similar to us who are really trying to do everything we can to kind of bring those stories to the forefront because without, you know, without smaller independent publishers kind of bringing those stories out, not like just think about the lack of impact that can be had or that mm-hmm. maybe it's that young queer person in some rural area in the world who just doesn't feel seen or heard or valued and they they just need to see someone successful and someone who's done it to to give them that bit of hope that is like all right you know i hate to say like it gets better because it i feel like it's so cliche at this point but like it does but you have to see people in order to kind of feel that so i think that's where the stories are so incredibly important because it's our jobs collectively, like you and me and those listening Mm. to share our story. So that way somebody can kind of resonate with it and feel that there's a path forward for them in whatever way that path might look. You know, yeah, you've hit the nail on the head and I'm noticing it more and more now, particularly as I find myself sharing my story more and more, but also on Clubhouse and the platforms like Clubhouse, I don't know, don't know if you're on it, um, the audio capacity of it and actually the, the volume of storytelling that goes on in there to enable people to feel seen, heard and valued. It's quite an incredible thing because as soon as you hear a story that resonates with you and it might only have a small connection or affiliation with you know what's gone on in your life but it can really have a profound impact on how your journey then moves forward or how you see yourself or how you enable yourself to do something else Mm -hmm. yeah like even just thinking about the access to information that we have so I when I came out I was 19 and it was 2000 so 21 years ago which the fact that 2000 was 21 years ago seems a little (laughs) bit crazy crazy actually yeah (laughs) but anyway um so like, I, I remember how hard it was to just find information and find books written by mm. LGBTQ authors. It was so hard. I remember going to like one bookstore. It was like, I think it was a Barnes Noble, but it was like not even in the state I grew up in. I like went over the border. So that way I could kind of like explore that very small, pathetic little section of like sexuality. Mm. And now, like, I can't, can't even imagine coming out now where you have just every bit of information you could possibly need. It doesn't necessarily mean that the coming out process is any easier for people, but they have access to information that we didn't have before. And I think that that is a part of just this global shift in whether it's podcast or clubhouse or blogs or books. Like we have just a bombardment of, of good information to help again, to help us seen, help us feel seen and valued and, like we're not, you know, we're not alone. And so I think that there's like this whole evolution that's just been happening. I think it's only going to keep getting stronger, but I think people are going to have to figure out how to tell their stories better in order to kind of keep above the amount of noise that people create. Yeah, totally. In that several questions to ask you, what, what's kind of the biggest hurdle that you found within the publishing um, world, certainly since you started, but perhaps going forward as well. And the kind of hurdles that you've overcome to, to tell stories, to actually just do the job, I suppose, as well. You know, this is not the hurdle, the biggest hurdle that I had in starting a publishing company after having a consulting company was that I did it on a complete leap of faith. Like I just knew that I had to start this publishing company and the 
the benefit of uh, naivete was would really helped <laughs> because if I had looked at what it took from a time, capital, profitability, all of that standpoint to start a publishing company, I don't know that I would have. So I think that my my just obliviousness of just being like, yeah, I can do this. I don't need to, like, it's fine. And then when I ran the numbers of how profitable things were on consulting versus publishing, I was like, okay, this is why not everyone starts a publishing company. Now I know. Um, so that, that I would say was a hurdle, but you know, it's, it's a learning lesson and I'm actually grateful for, for not really, really looking into what it would take and just kind of following my intuition and my gut and saying this was the right thing. But yeah, I think that's like the, the, the hurdle that I, that I imagine. Cause I'm like, okay, this is definitely a steep learning curve because you can apply a lot of things that you know, from one business to another. But when you get into an area where you are wildly like underprepared. Um, yeah. But, you know, I also think that I is actually, well, now it's been six years. So like that, that's you know, like, but that was, that's the past, but I actually think it's one of our greatest strengths too, is by mm-hmm. not being from a traditional publishing background, because the way that t- the traditional publishing space operates is very, very corporate and very large and they're not nimble. It takes forever to make a decision. And when you don't have that past experience, you're like, why would we do it that way? That makes no sense because we have no vested interest in doing it the way things are like the way things are supposed to be done, quote unquote. Yeah, no, I can, I can see that. I mean, it makes total sense. So uh, what kind of stories and and books do you publish at the moment? Is it a complete myriad of, you know, is it um, fiction stories? Is it kind of narrated? um, What's the word I'm looking for? biographies there you go <laughs> my brain really I need to have another <laughs> coffee I think I think that's what it is is it or is it just everything we focus on nonfiction and memoir specifically so we don't okay. do fiction cookbooks you know middle grade children's books all of that stuff like we have partners that we send you know anyone who comes to us and they need help with like a cookbook like we have someone that we would send them to so our focus is nonfiction and memoir and it's all very story driven so even the books that we do that are nonfiction they're not how to do your taxes. You know, we're not doing like, it's not the black and white how-to type of books. It's Mm -hmm. very much uh, what some people call it narrative nonfiction, but it's not even quite that because narrative nonfiction is almost, it's even kind of hard to describe. It's just more so like story-driven nonfiction. So you as a coach, as a consultant, as whatever it is that you do in this world, how are you packaging up who you are and what your methodology is to be able to Mm -hmm. teach it to people who need to hear what you have to say. So people who can't afford someone from a coaching standpoint, or they can't afford to work with you, most people can afford a 10, 15, $20 book. And so when we look at it from that standpoint, it's like, how do we package up the thought leadership? And so many of our authors are LGBTQ people about, I would say maybe 65% of them are. And about 75% are women, about 30% are from different communities of color. And we're always trying to continue to increase those numbers. So Mm. I jokingly say, and I probably shouldn't even say this on a podcast, but I'm gonna say it anyway, um, that the straight white cisgender male is typically the author that is not our best market. But it's not to say that we don't have, we have a number of authors who absolutely fall into that bucket and they are incredible human beings. But we know that we have kind of like that underdog. Like we are really good Mm. at supporting that person who's coming from that 
underrepresented vantage point or maybe that marginalized place. And so we're able to like really help them, not just with the telling of their story, but how do we think about their business behind the story and behind the book? And how do we like really be a catalyst for them to get them out and on stages more so they can be speaking their story, not just writing it, because then you can impact even more people. So it's people who are all kind of like falling in some of those types of buckets. Oh, I like that a lot. And if you can, what's the most interesting story that you've published? Do you have a favorite at all? Or, I mean, I don't know if you're allowed to do that. Or can you allow to listen to me? (laughs) You can do anything you want to, but whether or not you verbalize it is another thing. (laughs) It's like asking me to pick my favorite child. Yeah, exactly. Um, (laughs) Yeah, we have, we have, I I don't want to pick a favorite. I have, I have a handful of favorites, but we have, we have some just incredible humans that I feel like we have been fortunate enough to work with who have stories that are so hard that it's hard to even wrap your head around how they are still living, let alone thriving and helping other people on the other side of it. And so like we have We have authors who have faced some really severe domestic violence. We've had authors who, like we have one author where her father killed her mother while she was in laying in bed with her mother when she was a young girl. And we have authors that have experienced really brutal racism. And so they're all like, there's like some, I would love to just kind of like do the data on like the people that we work with, because there's some, it's not resilience because it's more than resilience because to go through something so tragic and so hard and to come out the other side and be such a beacon of light for other people in their journey and their experiences Mm -hmm. is really hard to kind of quantify. And we have a lot of, a lot of authors that have some really deep traumatic story, but even on the other side, we have authors that don't really like, I I call it like big T trauma or little T trauma. So we have plenty that have like the big T trauma, but there's some others that, you know, have, have led a relatively privileged life, they would say in their own words, but that doesn't mean that their story is any less valid and that their story is any less inspiring or their story is any less deserving of being heard. And so it's just, it's a whole kind of spectrum of people, but you know, I, there's, I have so many kind of favorites, but I can't, I can't verbalize them. Do you know what, actually, and I, I, I bring the question back. I mean, um, I love how you've articulated the response in that sense, because actually it really highlights and showcases the brilliance, the diversity and the kind of real nature of the stories that you're publishing. Mm-hmm. And yes, I've totally understand that. There's no way you can literally put them in any kind of order because everybody's unique. And that's the brilliance of the world. And, you know, we're all so beautifully unique in our in the way that we live and who we are and what we project. And to have each of those stories is quite magic, actually, and probably feel quite honored to have them as well. Um, yeah, it's a privilege. Honor is a great word to use. Like, and, and what's so incredible to me, I get chills even thinking about it, is that so often I and my team are the first people to receive that manuscript that someone has been pining over for whatever length of time. Mm. We've had people who've been working on a manuscript for 20 years. We have others who got you know bit and they're like, all right, I got to do this now. 
but we're often the first people who see it. And so that is a very sacred space to be in when you think about it, because whatever our reaction to that work being handed to us has a huge, huge impact on, on that person forever. And I feel like it's a, like, it's an intense and it's a heavy place to be, but it's also beautiful to, to know that like we have, we have this ability to kind of hold that space for them. And this doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they're writing a really traumatic memoir or if they're packaging their thought leadership, it's still a very sacred space to hold for somebody. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. I, I totally get it. Thank you for sharing. I, I, yeah, absolutely amazing. It's kind of blowing my mind thinking about what that must feel like, but also then to be involved in that as well and to support somebody and actually then see the the joy, satisfaction and kind of all my life, you know, getting that out for somebody is must be quite magic. It's magical on launch day. On the day that a book launches, it is just pure magic because it's magic for us as the people who are behind the scenes helping get the book out there, but you can see the satisfaction and the relief finally in, in the author's face of this is done. Like I finally did it because publishing a book is not an easy process. And it's not that it's, it's not that it can't be easy, but emotionally it's not easy, regardless of what you're writing about. It is a very labor intensive process. It's emotionally draining. And so to see their just utter like release of like, Oh, this is finally done on launch day. It's, it's so rewarding and so amazing. And then we feel equally similar. It doesn't matter how many books we're working on. Like our authors are like, they're very much like family to us. And with yeah. in like, we have such a vested interest in their success. So when they're launching, like we're just as excited as they are. And also as well, when folk put their heart and soul into something and release it, I mean, I have an enormous amount of admiration in the sense that you put your, you're putting yourself out there, aren't you? For somebody to then read and respond and, you know, critique, if you like, it's, it's a very admirable process, actually. Yeah, it's over. It can be intense. It can be really intense. We actually have office hours for just the authors that work with us. So whether they worked with us five years ago or they're working with us now, like they have access to come into a small group twice a month, ask me questions or whatever it is. And there are times in those office hour settings where I am talking people off the ledge because Mm. someone left a review or someone said a comment or someone had something hurtful to say about something that they wrote in their book. And I have to kind of help them understand that has nothing to do with them and everything to do with the person who said that, whatever that thing was to them. And it's a really, you know, because you have put your, like, once you get that first piece of feedback, that's not perfect it sends you into a whole spiral. And I've been there myself as an yeah. author. So I, I, I fully get it, but you know, it's just having the right team around you. So that way, when you have that low moment, you have somebody to, you have like a lifeline to reach out to. Yeah. And on that, for anyone listening as well, reviews are so important. I think for anybody, writers, publishers, um, you know, feedback is a really important thing. And that's not to sugarcoat. If you have a, a feeling or an, a thought or a process or how something's made you feel it's definitely worth articulating it but there are ways to articulate it and I've seen reviews before that are just should never have been written because they're just not beneficial in any way shape or form so it's really important the language that we use when we do feedback actually how we go about doing that I think is really important and I tell authors I'm like have somebody else go to Amazon and look at the reviews first like don't you go there and do it like I will look at it and then I will let you know what you need to look at Um, Because if you do see it, because it just sends you into a spiral that's not helpful. And honestly, like it really doesn't have anything to do with the book usually, unless it's like this book was 
poorly written, has typos everywhere, this, that, and the other, fine. Then you can, which books that we would not be the case in are in working with us, but um, that's, a, that's a fair thing to be upset about. But when you're mm-hmm. like really criticizing someone's character and, and their story and their life experiences, there that has nothing to do with the actual author. Totally agree. Totally agree. This is brilliant. You know, and it's really uh, an eye opener for me in terms of that, you know, that process as well. But also, I mean, I always consider fiction when writing weirdly, but actually there's so much in writing memoirs, writing stories, enabling people, you know, your own learned experience, but potentially with coaching as well, how you can then put that into something that would really benefit somebody is really quite amazing. Yeah food for thought um <laughs> possible you know yeah we'll, we'll talk right okay so um what's next for you what, what how does this what's the how does the journey continue for you what's going on <sighs> what a good question you know we're so we have been a publisher for six years and we have helped people along the publishing process for six years and in the right at the beginning of covid i would say we started writing programs and so that's where there's two things that like we are known for our publishing and whether we're coaching you through the process, we're doing it for you, doesn't matter. Like that is what we are. We are a publisher. However, we have expanded to offering people support on the writing side of things just because it's it's hard to, to be siloed and kind of work on a manuscript by yourself without any external input or feedback. And so we started uh, writing programs in the beginning of COVID, which have been going fantastic. And then we will be offering some kind of marketing related programs too, because that's something we help our authors with quite a bit, but we haven't formalized it in any way. So that's something that we're currently working on too. So, you know, that there's a lot of expansion that is, that is in the, is is brewing currently. I like that, but that's quite, (laughs) it's almost like more of a a cohesive offer that you can give as well, or you could perhaps cherry pick what you you need. No, I'm, I'm good with the writing. I can do that and help me with publishing or actually what I would call in my old business, a turnkey solution, you, literally from you start and then you hand over the keys at the end kind of thing, um, yeah. you, you know, a, a full package. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I, I love this. Right, well, let's get a couple of uh, fun questions for you. Okay. Um, what is your most used emoji? Your most used, used emoji. Use emoji. Do you use what? emojis? I sure do. Let me pull up. Uh, What's on the me... top? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's find out. I'm almost afraid to know what it is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Let's see. My most used is the crying face in the yellow heart. And then oh. the person who has their arms up, like, I don't know. I don't know. Those yeah, are the that, top three. <laughs> that figures a lot in mine as well. I also do the one with the specs. I'm constantly put the one with the, with the uh, glasses on. I love that. Or yeah, yeah. crying, laughing face yep. is uh, very much me. Yeah, oh, surprisingly, no. there's no, like the middle finger doesn't even show up on here, which I know is, <laughs> was as top for a lot of people. <laughs> I have to say, yeah yeah I've had that one before yeah that's the top one I don't want to say who I send it to as well this on repeat very good um okay so something interesting about you that not many people know well my original thing and I'm like well it's in my bio um is my obsession for birds (laughs) okay like it's um I and I don't know if you can hear how active and loud bird noises are around me but I just, I'm like an avid birder, which is such oh. a nerdy dorky thing. And I love it. And I am not apologetic about it. Um, so I have a, a lot of bird houses, a lot of bird feeders. I just spent more money than I should have on this really cool birdhouse that comes out in the fall on a Kickstarter that has, um, it's like a bird feeder that has a camera in it that helps you like identify the birds. Oh, I'm so excited for this thing. And it was like $200 and everyone around me is like, 
why are you spending that kind of money on a bird feeder? I'm like, cause I need it. That's why. So, um, yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't know that many people beyond like my immediate circle know, like what the level of obsession with birds is, but it's a thing. <laughs> That's brilliant. Thank you for sharing. Do you know what though? I get it. I am um, my morning rituals are wonderfully. I've got a hot tub. So I go out first thing before my family gets up and I have my quiet time. But when I say quiet time, I hanging out with the birds. Yeah. I like to listen to them talking and mm. I'm not so good that I could recognize some of their singing or who, but what belongs to what, although I do know the crows and I don't, when they're around, no one else is around. So it kind of does me in, <laughs> but they're really, sorry, excuse me. <coughs> they're really it's amazing and it's great to watch them and how they interact and how confident they get as well oh yeah mm-hmm. see because I've got cats so I wouldn't put a bird feeder out because I don't want to encourage you know that mm-hmm. <laughs> um but yeah it's how confident they are when it's just me and they know it's just me and it's it's wonderful so I really I get that I really do understand yeah. that I want to be snow white. Like my goal is to have one land in the palm of my hand. This is like my, my one goal in life before I die is to have, it doesn't even matter what I love Cardinals, but it doesn't matter what kind of bird, just a bird to land in the palm of my hand. That is my, my current bucket list item. Okay. I don't know what, how you would do that. I suppose just get to know them more. Just, yeah. Lots of patience. I'll probably be 80 by the time it happens, but it's fine. (laughs) And you can't move that quickly. So they don't, you know, don't mind. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I'm not a threat at that point. Uh, and, okay, so one final question for you. Uh, just, I'm curious because it was on your website. The um, yellow wallpaper. What is it about that story that really gets you? That is a great question. Have you read it? I have. Yeah, it's very. I, it's, it's quite. It's, it's super sad. Yeah, it's like sad. It's depressing. It's. I don't. I. I. I feel like I should look into this more just for my own uh, mental health of like, what was it about that story that has stuck with me since I was like in my teens? I think it's the vulnerability of it and the the rawness of an, like a mental health experience that was not talked about or, or talked about in any, I don't know that there's an uplifting way to talk about it, but like not framed in a positive light. Yeah. It is very raw. You're right. And in fact, the writing is beautiful and it, it, it just kind of, it gets you, it gets into your mind. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what I found when I, when I did read it. Um, yeah, it's beautifully written and it's just, I think the oppression, isn't it as well. And how, well, women being treated back then and particularly with mental illness as well, how that all kind of, well, the taboo around it, I suppose, but yeah. Yeah. I was just really curious. Awful way to live. Right. Yeah. Just feeling like confined in like such a, like, it feels very claustrophobic to me almost. And that's a, a, for me, perhaps what it means beyond that, actually in a bigger way and how we can extrapolate that to other things. Mm. Yeah. I was cute. I, I saw it on go- there. I was like, Oh yes. <laughs> I liked it too. Very sad though. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna have to go back and reread. That's a good idea. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. a good idea. I love yeah. it. <laughs> right. Okay. So finally to close it out, a bit of advice for listeners who have been tuning in. Someone wants to write a book whatever that might be in perhaps, you know, a personal memoir and whatnot, what advice would you give them for the start of their journey to just kind of get involved or get used to familiar with the idea? How would you, what kind of advice would you give them to get them to start? I would say to just start without, because I think a lot of times what happens is that we overthink it, we overplan, 
We have to have everything absolutely perfect and orderly. We have to have a new laptop. We have to have, we have to have all of these things, these external things in order for us to just sit and physically start doing it. And I think the reality is that if you don't even like writing, just open up your, the voice memo app on your phone and just start Mm. talking, just start to get it out there. Just write really crappy versions. Like give yourself a writing prompt. That's like, you know, what's something meaningful, you know, what was something meaningful that happened to me at age 15 and just see what comes out. It doesn't even have to be related to what you're writing about, but it's kind of the act of getting in the habit of sitting down and writing every day that can make the process so much easier. I always equate the writing process to that of training for anything. I've run a lot of half marathons. I ran one marathon, never again for the record, but half marathons are a great length. And it's the same process. Like I, I may have, uh, I may have run a dozen half marathons, but if I tried to get up and run a half marathon today, I would die. Like I'm <laughs> not equipped for it. So just like if I wanted to like, and I am actively working on another book right now, but like you have to kind of baby step your way into it. So like, look at the big picture, look at what you're trying to do and then come up with a plan that you can do one little thing today, one little thing tomorrow. And eventually that builds on each other. So kind of get it out of your mind of, It has to be like this grand opus and I have to lock myself into the woods in a cabin for six months to be able to write it. Like just find the, like, even if it's five minutes a day, like that time will absolutely add up on itself. That's really solid advice actually. And uh, yeah, it landed with me when you said about the voice memos, because I find myself doing that a lot now when I'm out, particularly not hands-free. So it's actually lends itself and it's useful, but just to dictate a few things or thoughts that I have which could then possibly go into, you know, a blog or whatever. But it's actually really, it's a great way to just download because more often than not, when we're out walking, we can actually be quite creative because mm-hmm. that whole experience of being outside in nature really is really helpful. No, I like that solid advice. And you don't have to be trapped to a desk to do it. So you're really yeah. removing that kind of myth and idea that this is the only way to write. Yeah. And, and write the way that comes natural to you. Like if you read any of my books, I write exactly like I speak. There is no difference in any way, shape or form. So if that's how, if that's my natural writing style, why would I want to change that? Or if your natural writing style is to write in like an academic fashion, because maybe you have a PhD and it was beat into you that that's how you write. Don't try to change it. Just write in the style that comes natural because it's when we try to write in a different voice that it becomes even more difficult. And then we have even less desire to sit down and actually do it. Yeah. Yeah, sound, and then it's more authentic, isn't it? And then pe- mm-hmm. readers will resonate because they can read it in, a, in an authentic way. Absolutely yeah. brilliant, fantastic. So if anyone is inspired by that, how do they get in contact with you? Where's best to find you? So I am on all of the all of the places on the socials at either Publisher Purpose or Jen T. Grace. But one thing in particular that might be valuable if you're listening and you are a Facebook user, but I have a group that's the Publisher Purpose Author Lab. And it is a free group. I do workshops and I have one, I have an, a workshop in August and then I'll have, and it's just, it's like a boot camp for how to get your book started. So I encourage people to check that out and publisherpurpose.com is where, where all of the things are housed. Uh, I encourage you not to pay close attention to how the website currently looks because it is in the middle of a rebrand. <laughs> so just, just an FYI. Just the, just the content. Don't look at yeah, the overall. Just, just don't judge, please. <laughs> But do you know what, though? Here's the thing. None of us are perfect. 
we've always got something changing transforming here doing this that and the other and that's what keeps it real and makes it really brilliant because there's always something that we want to do or change or develop or improve mm. so no bless you for being candid and open and honest there i like that a lot i like it a lot thank you so much for joining me this has been amazing yeah i so appreciate it thanks for having me absolutely fantastic and thank you everyone for listening take care look after yourself keep well you have been listening to life stories with me natalie miller snell for all information related to my guests please check the show notes and if you wish to continue the conversation with us please hashtag life stories on all social channels if you enjoyed this show please pop over to seize the day.simplecast.com where you'll find my other shows If you're interested to know any more about coaching, please visit me at nmscoaching.co.uk where you'll also find details of the latest workshops I am running. Thank you so much for listening. 